There's no such thing as sea serpents, Mulder. (laughs) (laughs) Or are Are there? there. Welcome to the edge of nowhere. And welcome to the Monster Lore Tour Paranormal Deep Dives from the Edge of Nowhere podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Carr, here with my co host and the Joker to my Riddler, Mr. Matt Ozero, aka the Moz. How are we doing today, Moz? No complaints. Good, good. That'll get us off to an easy start then. I, I And I figured I'd finally say that joker riddler thing right because even with all the banter on it in the first episode i still didn't say it right i just wanted to be the joker so bad (laughs) but anywho speaking of correcting ourselves we're going to be starting every episode with an old business segment for corrections clarifications and whatnot so let's get to that i do have one point of old business to cover from episode one any any ideas there Moz? i do not uh well in episode one we talked about scooby-doo we did never having any real monsters yes i'm still and how disappointed your childhood was because of that yeah uh blemish it, it just always ended up being you know the mr jenkin perkins unmasked by those meddling kids yeah well as it turns out in 2004 so well into the history of scooby-doo mm-hmm the movie Scooby-Doo and the Loch Ness Monster was released. And this is a spoiler alert here. In this movie, the Loch Ness Monster is 100% real. Right. right. a character. Yeah, Nessie, Harry's shaggy and Scooby in very comedic ways throughout the movie without, like, anyone else being able to see it. Wow. But then at the end, there's, like, this whole chase scene with Nessie chasing the whole crew and the mystery machine and stuff. Does that mean my childhood is complete? I think that you at least have some closure. <laughs> yeah, maybe with with yeah. that with mm-hmm. that uh, inner mm-hmm. demon from mm-hmm. your childhood. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the scars don't heal, but and okay. and you know, once in a while, maybe yeah. the monster is real. Yeah, I probably stopped watching in, by two thousand and four. <laughs> I have to go back. <laughs> I know. I I had to see. search that. Yeah. Like, I sadly did real research to figure that out. Nice. Well well done. (laughs) I I appreciate that. Because I was like, there had to be at least one, right? Yeah. Maybe I'm even missing another one. If anyone knows of another real monster in a Scooby-Doo, please email us at monsterloretour at gmail.com and let us know. That would be uh, very handy. But anywho, uh, this is my first episode here on the Monster Lore Tour, my first time leading the tour. And I wanted to do, uh, actually, there's a number of reasons I really wanted to get into this one, but primarily it's from my old hometown area. I've been in Arizona over 18 years now, but I did grow up in the Boston area. I spent a lot of time there before I moved out here. 
uh, and this is a story from my childhood that I always found really interesting, a local local cryptid sort of story from my childhood that I always took to be kind of folklore just a local myth kind of thing. But I found a book by a man named Wayne Soini. Soi. Soini. S-O-I-N-I. So you can look him up. Uh, he has a book called The Gloucester Sea Serpent. This book covers this story in a real way that I've never heard any anyone even come close to getting the details on this story before. And I just feel like it really needs to be brought to the light that there is a lot more to the Gloucester Sea Serpent story than any, any podcast or anything else I've ever found except for this book. It's all based on historical fact, uh, personal accounts from the time when it happened. And once you get through it, it's actually might be one of the more interesting cryptids that we cover. But is this really just a Boston, New York thing? Are you just, is this still about the 86 Mets? Oh, well, <laughs> no, no, dude. We, we've won a handful of series since then. And the Yankees are in last Small place with, a, with us right now at the time of recording. So no, I don't really care about New York anymore. <laughs> It's still a slap in the face to the, the Yankees. Still in suck, and the in the world is right. Well, what if I cover? I'm going to change my plan and just do Champ or the Montauk Monster or the Yonkers Yonk or the White Hole. Wait, the Beast Yonkers Yonk? There's a I don't know. Is maybe. that really a thing? I don't think so. Maybe, no, don't do old business me. Don't look that one up. Don't old business you. <laughs> it sounds like something out of a Doctor Seuss book or something. Yeah, maybe the Yonkers Yonk. I guess we can do old business if it's, it's a, like the Wocket in my pocket. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we don't want to talk about that here. <laughs> I don't think the walket is in a, the walket is more of a cryptoid than a cryptid. Oh, very good. Yeah, you like that? Yeah. I'm doing my homework, Moz. Yeah. yeah, well done, sir. Pay attention sometimes. All right. Uh, anywho, let's start getting into it here. Uh, some of our episodes, if not all, we'll see what happens. Come with some prerequisites. This is a Moz edition to the thing. I guess we're going to give out homework sometimes or something. Or yeah. You have to listen to a previous episode to listen to this episode kind mm-hmm. of thing. Well, for this one, it's my first episode. So the only prerequisite really is on me. And that prerequis- prerequisite in light of today's topic and, uh, you know, being the homage to my homeland, so to speak, I'm going to have to get my Boston accent back. Uh, I do keep it in a box in the back of my closet. (laughs) Why don't you tell them about our members area while I go grab it, Moz? Good luck with that. If you like what you hear this episode, make sure you check out our members area at patreon.com slash monsterloretour. Members get early access to upcoming episodes in the members section. We also record a side trail excursion or two. Some bonus material on the same topic for each Monster Lore Tour episode. Every membership makes it more likely that we can keep doing what we're doing here. So if you like what we're doing, it would help us out. Join our members area so you can be with us each giant squatchy print of the way. Like, subscribe, share, yelp, whatever you kids do today. Also, if you have any monstrous stories of your own and you're willing to share them, we would love to read them in our email at monsterlawtoy at gmail.com. We also look forward to reading your stories, and the ones that fit with one of us full episodes will be contacted for a possible interview. Thank you very much for listening. Now on with the episode. All right, I think I got it, Moz. How I sound? 
Yeah, you you found it. I'm packing my car and have it yet again. The Sammy Summer Ale that I'm drinking doesn't hurt (laughs) none either. Pack my car and have it yet again, I will. There you go. Ich bin ein Berliner. Uh Mars. Okay, let's get to this week's episode and take a deep dive with the Gloucester Sea Serpent. In August of 1817, the attentions of the people of Gloucester, Massachusetts, a small seafaring town on the shore of northern Massachusetts, all turned toward a strange new creature that had apparently taken up residence in Gloucester Harbor. This creature would become known as the Gloucester Sea Serpent. Many will say, Mars, but sea serpents aren't real. Wait, do you know that's a direct quote from someone? What is? But sea serpents aren't real. Who said that? You get one guess, it's really easy. You don't even have to think to say the first thing that comes to your sea mind. Sea serpents. No, first, first thing. You Richard can Dawkins. <laughs> Scully. <laughs> Scully. Oh, is it Scully? Yeah, she says that in the... Uh, she actually says that? She says it with the one that the, the water molecule creature that can kind of form into tentacles and ah. with Darren McGavin. Nice. With Carl Kolshak action. Huh. Well, she's right. Most people would say, but sea serpents aren't real. Yeah. But once you hear the full account of the happenings in, Glo- in and around Gloucester in August of 1817, you may be rethinking that. And it is only due to human error in scientific hubris by a few men that we don't know that sea serpents actually do or at least did exist but let's go back for a moment for the legend of the sea serpent around cape ann area of which gloucester harbor is a part starts long before august 1817 in 1638 a european by the name of john jocelyn a doctor by profession and an aspiring zoologist was visiting the New World for the first time and cataloging all of the new wildlife he saw. On a stormy afternoon in June, Jocelyn was given an account of a sea serpent sighting by a party touring the Cape Ann coast in small seafaring vessels. I think canoe or similar, it's not specifically recorded, with some local natives as guides. The following is an excerpt from Jocelyn's journal. This is on you, Moz. How do you want me to read it? Uh, it's a rich British dude, so maybe a little snooty British or something. Snooty, I'll give it a shot. June the 6th of the 20th day, very stormy, lightning and thunder, I heard now two of the greatest and fearfulest thunderclaps that I ever were heard. I'm confident. At this time, we had some neighboring gentlemen in our house who came to welcome me into the the country. C-O-U-N-T-R-E-Y. Yeah, that's an old spelling right there. Where amongst variety of discourse, they tell me of a sea serpent or snake that lay coiled up like a cable upon a rock at Cape Ann, said to be in the Plymouth area at the time. A boat passing by with English aboard and two Indians, they would have shot the serpent, but the Indians dissuaded them, saying that if they were not killed outright, they would, if he were not killed outright, they would be all in danger of their lives. So, that implies that this was not the first time people have seen one of these serpents because the natives had lore of this thing. You know, they, they warned these guys that if you take a shot at that thing and you don't kill it, it might come get us. Uh, but this thing's sunning itself on a rock, and I don't know right. if that's the only, is that the only out-of-water experience for this thing? Uh, as far as I know, yeah. Mm. But 
I know of a lot of water snakes that do such things. You know, they they aren't necessarily always in the water. No, I get it. It's just a it's an it's an interesting account for sure. Yeah, but in the years following, as the east coast of Massachusetts became more and more populated with European immigrants. There were occasional sightings reported from up and down the coast of strange, unidentifiable serpent-like creatures in the water. But these sightings were few and far between, never up close and personal enough for anyone to get more than a good campfire story out of it. But in the summer of 1817 in Gloucester Harbor, that would all change. Now, before we get into the arrival of the sea serpent, I need to talk about climate change for a minute. This isn't a PSA. Okay. This isn't uh, anything to do with what's happening now. This is actually uh, a more natural, sudden like cur- climate cur- change. Like your plesiosaur kind of thing? So in, the, in, in April of 1815, so a couple of years before the serpent showed up, the most intense volcanic eruption since the Stone Age happened in Indonesia on an island called Sumbawa. The volcano is called Mount Tambora. I read to you now from Wikipedia. Mount Tambora is a volcano on the island of Sumbawa in present-day Indonesia, then part of the Dutch East Indies. And its 1815 eruption was the most powerful volcanic eruption in recorded human history. This volcanic explosivity index of a 7 eruption ejected 160 to 213 cubic kilometers that is 38 to 51 cubic miles of material into the atmosphere and was the most recent confirmed VEI 7 eruption so the VEI is like the Richter scale it's an exponential increase so Mount St. Helens was a 5 which means Mount Tambora at a 7 was a hundred times more powerful than Mount St. Helens, basically. Did that reach, like, super volcano level? Oh, yeah. Yeah, total super volcano. Nice. Changed the climate of the planet a little bit. I read on. Although the Mount Tambora eruption reached a violent climax on April 10th, 1815, increased steaming and small phreatic eruptions, which are steam eruptions, occurred during the next six months to three years. The ash from the eruption column dispersed around the world and lowered global temperatures in an event sometimes known as the Year Without a Summer in 1816. Is that like the Year Without a Santa Claus? That would be... I don't know which one's sadder. Year Without Santa or Year Without Summer. I think I'd rather go without Santa, actually, (laughs) if I had to pick. Sorry. Uh, This brief period of significant climate change triggered extreme weather and harvest failures in many areas around the world. Several climate forcings coincided and interacted in a systematic manner that has been not been observed after any large volcanic eruption since the early Stone Age. Wow. If you want to know more, check out the wiki page. There's all kinds of additional info on there about the eruption, its effects, and everything. But we so now know what we need to know for our... Th- what, what was, what, yeah, what is the connection? Like, where are you going? Well, you went to Indonesia on me. Without any explanation. Well, and I've done this. He's left me places too. You've I'm, left I'm me. Leading, in I'm leading up to something. Give me a second. I also want to note that in 1638, there was a pretty major eruption on the Indonesian island of Timor. Mm-hmm. Its effects were far less extreme on a global scale, but it's rather coincidental that in both years of reported sea serpent, uh, you know, like shortly before, 
mm-hmm. there's Indonesian right. volcanic activity going on. Am I looking at a butterfly effect here? That eruptions in the South Pacific cause serpent movements in the Atlantic somehow? There are some distances to deal with there. But I, I guess in the water you can, something that big, and yeah. something that changey. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Because what I'm thinking, I think this is relevant in that when you see times of quick extreme climate change like that, there are always a lot of animals that will have to seek new territory because where they're at just doesn't work for them anymore. So maybe this has something to do with the timing of the sea serpent showing up. Okay. Climate news from them. In 1638, the world was at the tail end of a three years of notably high temperatures for the day. So maybe either extreme will lure the sea serpent towards the shore. Or was it the volcanic eruptions on the other side of the world? It could be the temperature changes, just the weather changing, or it could be the eruption itself, but it seems to me there may be some connection here. Do you mind if I jump in with a, the only thing I can think of? Yeah, go ahead. Well, Bat Squatch was connected to the Mount St. Yep. Helens. Yeah, very volcano-connected. Oriented. Yes. But this was because this was Bat Squatch's home blowing up. <laughs> Right, he, it was living he was like in the living actual there, volcano, and he's mad. Yeah. And he's like, "What is going on? My cave, the yeah. bat cave, is blowing up." Um, so this is a little bit different. That's my only thoughts. Anywho, volcano on volcano world. Maz is weird, everybody. <laughs> All right, let let's get into the the real story here. Finally. All right, the first known sighting of the sea serpent in Gloucester Harbor in eighteen seventeen is cited in Bernard Huevelman's In the Wake of the Sea Serpents as follows. Should we do a... Huevelman. Huevelman. Anytime we mention him, should we do like a Randolph Scott from Melbourne? Because he's like the grandfather. (laughs) Randolph Scott. We have to have some. We have to come up with something. Huevelman. Anywho, so so this is a sighting from Huevelman's In the Wake of the Sea Serpents. On 6 August 1817, two women saw a sea monster like a huge serpent come into the harbor of Cape Ann, which lies north of Gloucester Roads. Unfortunately, that's all we know about the initial sighting, because the witnesses, both being women and it being New England in the 1630s, were quickly written off. However, soon thereafter, the serpent was witnessed by a number of men, so then they could start taking it seriously. I'm sorry yeah. to report it that yeah. way, but, yes. you know, just the times they were in at that point. Yep. Not too far removed from the witch trials and all that, actually. Yep. Uh, the first properly recorded sighting of the sea serpent in the summer of 1817 is one from Amos Story of Gloucester, Massachusetts. Mr. Amos Story classified himself as a mariner, a man of the sea. The following is his personal account from Sunday, August 10th, 1817 when he reportedly observed the sea serpent at play for over an hour Moz, you got a uh, crusty sea captain in you for mr amos story here crusty sea captain this well, is a good quote I, I guess we're gonna find out all right we're sitting on the shore about 20 rods about 110 yards from him when he was the nearest to me he moved very rapidly through the water, I should say a mile or two, or at most three minutes. His head appeared shaped much like the head of a sea turtle. 
and he carried his head ten or twelve inches above the water. Ah, his head at the distance appeared larger than the head of a dog that I ever saw. From the back of his head and the next part of him that was visible, I should judge it to be three or four feet. Thank you, Mr. Story. Well done, Ross. Yeah, let's, not, let's never go with my sea captain. <laughs> Rusty sea captain again. It is noted that Amos Story never saw more than 10 or 12 feet of the creature at any one time and did not speak to the actual size of the serpent. But it was definitely something he had never seen before, and it seemed quite large. The Amos, and Amos, being a man of the sea, had seen all the creatures that were to see in the sea. Well, if the head's four feet, you can at extrapolate. You can extrapolate that this is a very big, huge. Yeah, yeah, it would have to be huge. Yeah. Uh, news of the sea serpent sighting spread quickly, and it grabbed the attention of some Bostonian scientist types. That, for many reasons discussed in Wayne Soini's book, Glossed a Sea Serpent took a strong interest in the case. If you want to know all the political and social background of the story, which can be very interesting, actually, check out the book. It's a free read if you have Kindle Unlimited, and I saw the paperback for around 12 bucks online, so it's pretty accessible. Uh, for our purposes, just know that when word of Amos' story sighting got around, there was a concerted effort to record all the sightings that could be obtained and to try to get some sort of real evidence of the existence of this unclassified creature. That is why we have such a large catalog of these events from so long from so long ago. The written accounts are stored in the Cape Ann Museum in Gloucester, and for the writing of his book, Wayne Soini studied all these accounts firsthand, which is why his book is considered the principal source for the info on the sea serpent at this point. I would have gone there myself if I still lived there, but I'm in Arizona now, so I had to rely on Mr. Soini's book to bring these accounts to me. Right. But they are all on record. You can go check them out at the Cape Ann Museum. I definitely did a field trip there when I was a kid. There you go. That's uh, exciting. Anywho, the next reported sighting came from Captain Solomon Allen. I, Captain, I'm putting a lot of work on Captain, you in this one, Moz. See, see Captain yeah, again. but he's like the richer one, so maybe not quite so crusty. Gotcha. Less crusty. I was channeling Krusty the Crab. For the you can keep going with it. I loved your sea captain. No, I don't like it. I don't like it. Let's never speak of it again. So, I saw a strange marine animal that I believed to be a serpent. I should judge him to be between 80 and 90 feet in length, and about the size of a half barrel, apparently having joints from his head to his tail. When he moved on the surface, his motion was slow, sometimes playing within circles and sometimes nearly straightforward. When he disappeared, he sunk apparently directly down, and would next appear in 200 yards from where he had disappeared in two minutes. His head formed something like the head of a rattlesnake, but nearly as large as the head of a horse. Okay, I, I do want to add that uh, for, he did further say that the creature also appeared to be a dark brown color, like a milk chocolatey. So you shouldn't have gotten the summer rail. You should have gotten like... Oh, nice uh, no, but it was August, August in Gloucester. You're drinking the Sammy Summer, man. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's just what you do. Okay. All right. Soon thereafter, on Wednesday, August 13th, Captain Allen took the day off to spend the day at the shore looking for the sea serpent, and his time was not wasted. His report goes as follows. This is the same guy, so same voice, Moss. I saw him nearly all day from the shore. I was on the beach nearly on a level with him. Most of the time, he was 150 to 300 yards from me. Its joints or bunches appeared about 8 or 10 inches above the surface of the water. And joints or bunches? Yeah, we'll get back to that. That's definitely uh, 
to the Cheech and Chong. A, a characteristic we're going to be discussing as right. we go. Okay. But um, the like the old school sea serpent pictures that you'll see with the they got kind of the humps in the back. Mm-hmm. But we'll we'll get into that as we go. Okay. The next day, Thursday, August fourteenth. 1817 is an historic day sadly forgotten it was on this day that the town of gloucester in relatively large number gathered on and around gloucester harbor to see the sea serpent and some dozens of people 17 recorded accounts but that was a small portion of the actual crowd Mm. bore simultaneous witness to the town people's closest encounter with the sea serpent The day's encounter started early in the morning when a woman named Mary Rowe was on a ship that was just sailing into Gloucester Harbor. By her account, the serpent was, quote, in rapid motion and turned suddenly, his head going one way and his tail the other, saw his head out of water very plain, seemed about as large as a horse, feels sure she saw a hundred feet plainly on the surface of the water, saw him at different times after and had the same appearance. Mary Rowe, just now arriving in Gloucester, had no prior knowledge of the sea serpent being spotted in these waters, and the encounter frightened her greatly. She and her shipmates breathed a serious sigh of relief when the monster passed by their boat and headed out to deeper water, but he wasn't going far. Okay, now, we're going to really get into it here. All of the following accounts are from the crowd gathered around the harbor on August 14th. This is all simultaneous accounts, Mons. You ready? I'm ready. I'm going to have you read this first one. This is from William H. Foster, who was a non-local merchant doing some business in Gloucester. So a merchant at the voice. Yeah, you can just do whatever. A normal? Normal voice for this okay. one. What I discovered is... <laughs> <laughs> sorry. sorry. That's actually what you sound like off mic. <laughs> oh, jeez. I will... When I discovered him, his head was above the surface of the water, perhaps ten inches, and he made but little progress through the water. He afterwards went in different directions, leaving on the surface of the water marks like those made by skaters on the ice. Then he would move in a straight line west, and would almost in an instant change his course east, bringing his head, as near as I could judge, to where his tail was, or in fact to the extreme hinder part visible, raising himself as he turned six or eight inches out of the water and shooing S-H-E-W-I-N showing that old spelling again a body at least oh show so it's just showing showing a body shooing yeah. a body at least 40 feet in length there you go so we could see 40 feet at once yeah. seemed a lot longer than that so that is not a normal okay. gait no <laughs> not at all and next we have Lonson Nash a local lawyer and appointed senator important guy the man who recorded the accounts for the Linnaean Society for the seminal work on the sea serpent, and again, you can read Wayne Soini's book for all that, but this is a quote from this man. Oh, you should do this one since he's a I'll senator in Kennedy. Oh, I can do my... I I'll judge keep, him I'll keep in my, the largest part. I'll keep my not, accent on for this one. judge him for you, judge to be judged. There you go. benign Berliner. I'm just getting you warmed up for this one. I, I judged him in the largest part about the size of a half barrel gradually tapering towards the two extremes. His color appeared nearly black. His motion was vertical. We're going to talk about that, too. 
When he moved on the surface of the water, the track in his rear was visible for at least half a mile. His velocity when moving on the surface of the water, I judged, was at the rate of a mile in about four minutes. He swam as straight as you could draw a line. When immersed in the water, his speed was greater, moving, I should say, at the rate of a mile or two, or at most three minutes. When he changed course, his velocity diminished but little. The two extremes that were visible appeared rapidly moving in opposite directions, and when they came parallel, they appeared not more than a yard apart. If he should be taken, I have no doubt that his length will be found 70 feet at least. I should not be surprised if he should be found 100 feet long. Wow. That's a lawyer, a senator, and the guy who's in charge of the investigation. Mm-hmm. He didn't really sound like Kennedy, though, but okay. I sound like that guy. Okay. Next, Jonathan Brown saw 60 or 80 feet of black substance on the water between the beach and stage point. Many people with glasses all around the shore looked at him, saw him move in a semicircular form repeatedly. Is this semicircular similar to the bringing it back? Just establishing there, seeing how this thing moves. moves. We're going to talk about yeah. how it moves and stuff once we get through the, this batch of uh, accounts. Next, a woman only recorded as the wife of Trask, because again, 1630s. the 1630s. Yep reported seeing some sort of humps or joints of some kind on the serpent's back. See, here we go again with this. She said, quote, seemed like gallon kegs tied together, saw him suddenly disappear and come up again at a great distance. These humps come up in in other accounts from August 14th as well. The following is from a Z. Stevens, who was president on the shore that day. Quote, lying on the surface of the water perfectly still, the humps plainly to be seen extending about 50 feet. His head and tail was not visible. So you could see 50 feet of the body of this Without thing. Couldn't the see either end. Couldn't yeah. see either end. So you're talking at least 55 feet, right. right? These humps are a source of conjecture that these people keep talking about. Some saw them as a feature of the creature. Others attributed them to just the monster's form of movement, which was reported to be more vertical than horizontal. Mm. Uh, so instead of so like a snake the, slithering along the ground, it's more like down. a like a like a caterpillar, an earthworm, like a giant earthworm movement. Gotcha. Yeah. You think it's worm? Yeah, it could be. A Mongolian. Well, I mean, it moves like a worm. You know what I mean? A Mongolian death worm. Except a Mongolian. Death worm. Yeah. Except is that a real thing? That's a real thing. From But the thing is, it's underground in Mongolia, so I don't know if that's really... <laughs> we're kind of far off. Oh, I don't think we're doing that investigation. You know what us. it could be, though? An Alaskan bullworm. Do you, did you see the SpongeBob with the Alaskan bullworm? SpongeBob? No. It, it okay. was a massive creature. Like, when you show, like, Squidward and SpongeBob near this thing... Why do all your theories go back to cartoon shows? But it was... I'm just (laughs) saying, this thing could eat the Gloucester Sea Serpent. It was monstrous. Alaskan bullworm? Yeah. Is that real, or is that just SpongeBob? It's from SpongeBob. So it's real on SpongeBob? Yeah. (laughs) Art minutes life. The Mongolian death worm, though, is this, like, a real real thing? That's a real cryptid, yeah. I mean, you know, it's... Is that something we can do an episode on? That oh, the title gosh, alone yeah. is worth an episode. Yeah. The it Mongolian Death Worm. It's kind of a tremorsy thing, but it's it's not that huge. But it's like I think it's like six. It's feet. an electrified tremor beast, yeah. and it's real. 
Well, I, I, I or is it like the chupacabras reel? Reels a tough <laughs> word here. I, I don't, I don't know. But we'd have to, we'd have to study wow. that further. Okay, we'll have to get back to that another time. Let's continue with the Alaskan bull roar. Uh, where was I here? Bikini okay, bottom. so okay, back to the humps. If they were a thing, it seems in the the uh, general belief of the people involved is that they weren't a permanent feature, but some sort of bunching of the body due to the locomotion. Because mm-hmm. most of the up-close reports on this creature reported as smooth, and it's only once people see it moving that they think it has those joints or humps. Yeah, if you picture, because I always say kegs, they're talking about half barrels. Yeah. You put, picture kegs in a tube moving right, in this right. weird jointed worm-like fashion in a way. Yeah, it makes it look bumpy, but it's actually, when it's at rest, it's smooth, is is the conclusion I've come to through all this anyway. Gotcha. But I digress. Let's move on. Back to the accounts of the 14th. Captain Davidson saw 60 to 90 feet plane out of water. Certain what he saw was a live substance on the surface and not wake of any fish. So he didn't think it was something dead. He didn't think it was a tree branch floating or anything it was certainly alive and you could see 60 or 90 feet tough to judge the length of things sometimes from a distance like that we all know but i mean even the low end of that Mm -hmm. this thing's monstrous so to say john low quote could plainly distinguish his humps as before described that he lay perfectly still in the water for some time and as he rose and lowered in the water he was more distinctly seen at some times than others could not mistake it for other than a fish of the serpent kind from 80 to 100 feet. So this guy has a bigger range. Well, we've gotten to 100 before. He couldn't mistake it other than a fish of the serpent kind. There you go. So still, you know, very serpenty. It's not just a fish. It's not a whale. Like a whale isn't a serpent. You know what I mean? Joseph Proctor. And if you're from New England, you know the name Proctor. As an old New England name, this guy comes from a family. Quote, saw the serpent from 60 to 80 feet as plain out of water as a rock. Saw him still and in motion. Saw him repeatedly at different times with the same appearance of humps and at times rapidly in motion. Uh, next we have John Soames, who was a local rope maker. Saw the serpent. Quote, pass repeatedly across the harbor and at times he was perfectly still on the water, saw his humps plain, but did not count them, saw 60 to 70 feet of him on the surface of the water, saw his head and neck very plain out of the water, and they had every appearance of a serpent. Joseph Moore's standing near Soames. So these two guys are like hanging out together looking at this thing. Other guy says, quote, a black substance on the surface of the water about 60 feet between the beach and stage point put his head near the tail and could plainly see one part of him move one way and the other part in a contrary direction in a continuity of the paths from one end to the other. Same description. Same moves really weird, right? This is an interesting part of many accounts. It would move straight ahead, straight as an arrow, then suddenly turn. Many accounts of the day compare it to a staple, like the hook in an old staple. But when the head arced around it would move back in toward the body no more than a few feet of water between its ends with its head and tail moving in opposite directions until the turn is complete 
seems like some kind of hunting or evading technique to me, maybe. What do you think? I, I've never heard anything move like this. That whole bringing it back to the end of itself and then going off yeah like the tail's still moving forward and the head's moving back and literally like pass right by each other and all of a sudden the body whips back around it's going dead straight again so this thing moves really really odd like sudden sharp turns but they're all describing the same strange movement and the same creature right right and that's only a percentage of the accounted sightings from august 14th right that you there's more in the book there there's more wow at this point you are wondering why so many people came out that specific day all at the same time right to see the serpent well it wasn't just to see the serpent it was to see the serpent die dang they were there to kill it before i explain i want to introduce another one of our new segments uh i want to give out this week's mad cujo's award <laughs> and mad kudos just so you guys know everyone else just gives out kudos we give out here monster lord tour mad kudos to the person we think is the hero of the show in some way our, our favorite character our of favorite the episode so to speak favorite, author, or favorite thesis we can kind of give it to whoever we want for whatever yeah. reason we want that's right this week's mad kudos winner is a man named matthew gaffney for being a stone cold badass let me tell you why this is great a local Gloucester ship carpenter named Matthew Gaffney was not only a carpenter, he was also the best gunman of the time in the Gloucester area. And on this fated day, August 14, 1817, he was assigned to the honorable task of slaying the dragon. What did he go out to try to kill this thing with? <laughs> a, a gun from the, uh, from the 1800s. Jeez. This is like Bard the Bowman from The Hobbit. Bard the Bowman. Oh, the sl- the smog slayer. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Bob the Builder. With his one big arrow, he hit that one yeah. little soft spot in yeah. Smog's belly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you don't do the spoiler alert, you know. I figure everyone listening to this has seen that by now, right? Yeah. <laughs> or at least Maybe. read the book. Maybe. Hopefully read the book. So much better. Anywho, in the harbor crowded with boats, with numerous onlookers on every part of the visible shore, a small vessel steered by two other men to get as close as possible to the monstrous serpent carried Matthew Gaffney to the shot of his life. A guy named Gaffney brought a gun instead of a gaff. Okay. He's gonna gaff it. <laughs> as the small vessel approached the beast, Gaffney took proper fire in position, waited until they were right on top of him. Gaffney claimed to have been within no more than 30 feet from the creature. One of the oarmen reported the beast as being no more than an oar's length away at the time of Gaffney's shot, which would be much less than 30 feet. Here is Gaffney's sworn statement of what happened from the man himself. I fired at him when he was nearest to me. I had a good gun and took good aim. I aimed at his head and I think I must have hit him. What do you think he's going to say next, Moss? He turned toward us immediately after I had fired, and I thought he was coming at us. <laughs> That's like the account from the Indians. This is why the natives told right. the Europeans yes, not, not to not shoot to at shoot the serpent. If, unless you know you're going to kill it. You know? Yeah. Don't it's, shoot at the serpent. Like, like, don't taunt happy fun If ball. this guy had a 21st century gun, maybe this would have worked. Yeah. 1800s guns didn't work. 
But let's pause here for a second. This is a horrifying moment for the three men on this boat, as well as all the other boats in the water. They're watching this, yeah. There are old stories around of serpents attacking boats that angered them. There's the 1638 story that if you don't kill it outright, it, it may, may well kill you. Out, yeah. Every boat in the harbor, upon seeing this thing still moving after an apparent shot to the head, would have suddenly made for sure, or at least away from the monstrous serpent. You ready for the rest of Gaffney's story? Let's do it. All right, here we go. Quote, But he sunk down and went directly under our boat and made his appearance at about 100 yards from where he sunk. He did not turn down like a fish, but appeared to settle directly down like a rock. Is this one Quint goes, Not three barrels! <laughs> not three! <laughs> I might got the wrong movie, maybe. We're going to need a bigger boat. Yep. He also added that the serpent's movements were vertical, like a caterpillar, and he thought it was smooth, which backs up the hypothesis that the humps were not a physical feature, but a feature of its style uh, of movement. movement. Yeah, it's like a slinky. This guy was as close as anyone got, and he and he was staring it dead in the eye, trying to shoot in the head, you know? Do you think it was a slinky? Everybody loves a slinky. Yeah. Next time it comes in, we try to get it down a, a, a bunch of stairs. Oh, dude, tell. we we could... Make a nickname for the Gloucester Sea Serpent. Slinky. Slinky. I like it. Like Loch Ness Monster is Nessie. We call the Gloucester Sea Serpent Slinky. That's actually really good. I mean, it's like. That is good. If it comes back, we're ready. Slinky the Serpent. ready with the name. Oh, that's so good. Coined here first, everybody. We're taking credit for that. Trademark pending. Yep. Mad Cujo's to us. Mad Cujo's to you, Moz. Ah, thanks. There were many more witnesses to the scene than there were written accounts and there are many more written accounts than what is presented here so give you an idea how many people we're really talking about a good number of dozens of people all bore witness to the same creature many of them simultaneously giving very similar if not the same description of the beast there was one more well-recorded sighting after the madness died down on the 14th in the twilight of august 14th a man named epis ellery who was the aging descendant of one of Gloucester's most prominent families, stood on a promontory near the shore, about 30 feet raised above the water, with a crowd of about 15 or 20 other people. This is a good little crowd. Using his spyglass, Mr. Ellery spotted the serpent about 300 yards from shore. Here is part of his sworn account. This is another well-to-do gentleman, gotcha. Ma, so I'm going to get let you read it. Gotcha. I saw the upper part of his head, and I should say about 40 feet of the animal. I was looking at him with a spyglass when I saw him open his mouth, and his mouth appeared to be that of a serpent. The top of his head appeared flat. There you go, and that, that's the only one we have of someone seeing this thing actually open its mouth and get a right. real look at you know the way the mouth works and everything. And again, very serpent. There were more sightings after the 14th, but they were fewer and somewhat far between after that and slowly faded to legend. Kind of like your accent. I'm, tr- I'm trying to keep this, man. It slowly like, faded to legend. Oh, it did. 18 years in Arizona <laughs> and my accent was gone. I got to like prep myself to do don't this. Go again. back in the closet. Maybe At least I can still do it when there. I want. Just go back there. Get oh, God, I don't know what else is in that box, you know. Yeah. Uh, anywho, it can't be known if, the Gaff- if Gaffney's bullet... Anywho, it can't be known if it was Gaffney's bullet, a turn in the weather, all that volcano stuff we talked about earlier and 
whatnot, or just its natural pattern of behavior that caused the serpent to leave the area. But in its time there, the sea serpent left a permanent mark on the psyche of the people of Gloucester. So hearing all these accounts from so many people from the same time frame on the same day, simultaneous sightings and sworn accounts, what do you think at this point, Maz, of the existence of this sea serpent? Well, I have to say, and it's, it pains me to admit it, but I had a different impression of this story. And I, a lot of times we're going to, what we've agreed to do is we'll both research it or most of the time just one of us researches it. I did very little into this, mm-hmm. but I've always associated with that, uh, that mistake that the whatever Linnaean society made. Oh, I'm going to get into that too, yeah. But I always also, uh, I can't help but think because they describe the heads differently. They focus on the negatives well, that's of the accounts. That I actually want you just led right into what I wanted to talk about next. Is after hearing all these accounts, some people might think, "Oh, well, they're describing it different." This one said, "Right, head of a, a horse." Turtle, this one, this one said, a, a dog. almost as big as the head of a horse, bigger than any dog's head, turtle-shaped, serpent-shaped." But if you look at it the way I see it, like the ship captain Amos Story, mm-hmm. he said the head looked like a turtle. His experience is on the sea. He's seen a lot of sea turtles. And that's the first thing that came to and his the mind. Land, the landlubber went dog, right? <laughs> right. And somebody who isn't a seaman, who right. just works on the land. Mm-hmm. Gloucester had a pack of wild dogs at this point. Before, Shortly before this time, they were actually like just a little farming community. Mm-hmm. And they had the center of town was basically the town farm that everybody worked together. It was very com- communal. It was very communal sort of set up but shortly before this time they actually that's when gloucester really became the water fair agriculture to they went from the farm to yeah. the boats yeah. and kind of gave seafaring. up a, it all became yeah seafaring trade and much less growing your own they would you know out on the sea now and when they closed basically like let the farm in the center of town kind of go to pot and a pack of dogs moved in so no, there were dogs no, pot was much later <laughs> and it's cheap now yeah. uh but yeah this uh, there was this basically wild pack of dogs hanging out in gloucester living off the scraps of the old farm basically mm-hmm. so there that would be a reference they someone went to in the gloucester animals the they time. knew right they right went with the animals they knew. and like the the richer guy compared it to you know almost as big as the head of a horse he probably owns right. a lot of horses right so to me if you really look at it they're kind of explained like they're kind of seeing the same thing they're just describing it in their own terms it's like the head was bigger than any head of any dog i've ever seen the head was almost as big as the head of a horse to me that's in the same range that's basically i'm I'm not arguing with you this they've just very clearly described the same creature that's not the way it seems presented to me and and what little i've like i watched a youtube video which and i liked it yeah. But it also conflated the Daedalus with that. Yeah, and that's foot. the thing. Like anyone else I've heard cover this podcast form or really anywhere except for Mr. Soini's book, they skim over it. They just talk about the sea serpent legend in general. Do you remember they don't talk the Daedalus about the specific account? serpent? Do you remember that one? Yeah, there was a that, that was some like a bunch of people on a ship all saw a giant right. fish swim by or something right like, and I, don't, I don't know he, if but it was, was also really connected huge. to it uh we'll look into that we'll do a little old business on that next time on the the daedalus, the daedalus account okay i don't 
I didn't work it in because I don't find. It I don't think it was. I'm just saying. I'm not sure if it's the, uh, around the same time or. If, I, I'm honestly I think not. It was around the same time. I'm not familiar enough it with the same it place. to uh, know if it resembled. It seems different. I saw a picture of it, and it had a, it had a big, weird kind of head, and it was just a more of a of a big. Uh, almost salamandery type body, but with no legs. Oh, you know, interesting! It was, like, it was just a long, but it doesn't seem to move the same way. It no. doesn't seem to have had that kind of head that you're describing. Right. I don't know why. I don't know why. Well, the locomotion don't... is a is a big definer of this Gloucester sea serpent. Yeah, I, I just slinky don't, as I don't he's know, now. I like it. I don't know why people didn't. Uh, from what little again I've done, I don't want to. There's probably good stuff out there. I just I guess I haven't found it because this yeah. one. Because you read the book, it all seems to be dozens of people. Hundreds came out, dozens reporting right. the same type the of same movement, thing. the yep. same weird creature. I guess what, and even like the coloration, the shape of the yeah, head, dark the, brown, a lot the of movement of the, the thing. thing. But I also feel like it didn't. It, it's it's something that moved. It's something that's so odd and was never seen again. Maybe that's also part of the reason it didn't. True. Uh, it, if it started power. coming around every 20 years or so right. and people kept seeing it, it would be a thing. We but need another volcano. Yeah. I just, I wonder because of the times in the world at that point, um, if, if maybe it was like the last of a dying breed too, you know, maybe it's an animal that went extinct. It's something that normally that. is very deep and it just came up to die. Kind and of that, thing. that too, you know, maybe it yeah. was an aged serpent yep. that, got kicked out of the deeper water and had to come up top to scrape out a living. Right you, know, you know? All right. Anywho, so now you're wondering why the sea serpent wasn't followed up on for the official record and why we don't have official knowledge of the books about this creature. Well, the Linnaean Society, as yeah, you mentioned, Moz, that tasked Mr. Nash with collecting the Swan accounts from reputable witnesses made a fatal mistake of hubris. This is so silly. Someone found a dead black snake in nearby Loblolly Cove with tumors on its back. Did you just make up that cove? No, that that's definitely a New England name, Loblolly. Isn't that from like Candyland? Over in Loblolly. Uh, oh, it's the Melancholy strawberry Cove. Strawberry Shortcake, maybe? There's the, 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 the Lust Lizard of uh, Melancholy Cove. I see is your Scooby-Doo and I raise you <laughs> Strawberry Shortcake. <laughs> oh, yeah, the Lust Lizard of Melancholy yeah. Cove, yeah. yeah. We'll we'll talk about that when we talk about Megalania, probably. There you go. <laughs> we will, actually. Yeah. Yes, we'll save it for that. Yeah. But anywho, so someone found this dead black snake in near Loblolly Cove with tumors on its back. And someone, because of the bumps on its back, took it for a baby sea serpent. They're like, hey, look, I found a baby sea serpent. Yeah. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. But without proper investigation, follow-up, or even a real second look, the Linnaean Society made the claim that this full-grown dead black snake was a baby sea serpent and added this finding to the end of their gathered compendium. This was a very useful book in its way. The original and only extant copy of this book is stored in the Cape Ann Museum in Gloucester, Massachusetts. Wow. Who knew? And it is where the accounts I read are recorded, which I said. Uh, incidentally... The title of the book. You ready for this? This is the title of the book. 
Judge Davis's book on the sea serpent, his report of a committee of the Linnaean Society of New England relative to a large marine animal supposed to be a serpent seen near Cape Ann, Massachusetts in August 1817. <laughs> and one baby Ooh, zebra. That is an 1800s book name right there. And it stands as in, one of the rarest science. where you live, is one of, face north. It's one of the rarest scientific texts in the world. There's only one copy. Wow. And so... I think the title of that book single-handedly destroyed the whole... Pr- the whole. <laughs> well, it was really <laughs> the last chapter about the baby sea serpent that yeah. was just a dead snake I killed all of the book's credibility with the scientific the t- community. The title didn't help. No, I'm sure it didn't. <laughs> but once the baby sea serpent theory was quickly debunked, the entire episode was quickly dismissed as a hoax by all those outside the Gloucester community. That one mistake made the whole thing bunk in everybody else's mind. Yeah. This killed any initiative that might have been taken to follow up on these sightings mm. and findings properly cataloging the creature. Mm. The reality of the Gloucester Sea Serpent... But then Bard the Bowman would never become king, right? Well, he actually killed Smog. Oh, yeah, yeah. Daphne yeah. didn't <laughs> kill the serpent. <laughs> never mind, never mind. If he had killed the serpent, he would have <laughs> been king of Gloucester. They would have made him king. Uh, but anyway, the reality of the Gloucester Sea Serpent quickly faded to legend... It was lost from the general zeitgeist. Until you found it in a book. Until Wayne Soini wrote the book, and I was uh, blessed enough to be able to read it. Well, I I think putting the accounts together like that, it it gives me a different impression of the whole thing than I had. Yeah, and we'll get into this when we do our believability scale and stuff, but yeah, it totally swung me. I don't believe in our believability scale. I wanted to talk to you about that. Well, I'm just a collection of figments of other people's imagination anyway, so it doesn't really matter. I believe in myself. Uh, See, cartoon characters do matter because you're one of them. I am now ready to get into my Ahu Guano theory of the week. Do you want to add anything before I get into that? Well, what are they... We, I guess we can say what the skeptics are saying because I still still have. Oh, we'll get to that to too. Yeah, that. that's one of our segments. Okay, I'm, we're not used. The segments are jointed and bunched in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice, because of the way they move vertically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> down the page, <laughs> <laughs> like a rock, dropping like a rock is like what this our, episode's like our doing. Viewers. Thank you. Oh, and that's the other <laughs> thing too. When it dives, I don't think we got into this. When this serpent dives. What he means by that dropping like a rock is it doesn't like swim down. Like when you see uh, it's just gone. most fish and things in the ocean, they don't, like when they dive, they're kind of angling. They don't, you know, their body is, this thing, it's going straight across the water. And All of a down. sudden its head just turns 90 degrees straight down and the whole body just follows it. Yeah. It's, it's such a weird, weird locomotion thing. on this thing. Never heard anything like it. Okay, but anywho, enough. Uh, any ahul. Waste. We're in the ahul. Any ahul. Yeah. Here is the ahul, gua- ahul guano theory of the week. Oh no, here it comes. Quick, to the batshit signal. <laughs> yes, ahul guano, the giant batshit theory I, oh, of the I week. I think I got one. I have one now. Go, go ahead, but I have, it. I have an ahul guano. I wasn't going to do it, but I just thought. Oh, okay, I'll go first. Yes. Okay, so we already covered the volcanic butterfly effect theory. So I had to step step up my game for this one. When approached from the Ahu Guano angle, it appears that the Gloucester Sea Serpent may actually have been, you ready to go full circle? 
the Loch Ness Monster out on an excursion. So we're going to have to interview. We start and end with the Loch Ness Monster. (laughs) Full circle. Uh. So I have found reason to believe, and we're actually going to get this uh, covered in the follow-up because we just don't have time here. This is going to take a minute. So this is going to be the follow-up in the member section for this episode that the Loch Ness Monster, not like in the extra cold in her lock at the time, took a hiatus across the pond to the eastern shore of the New World to see the sights. The serpent was Nessie on vacation, Moss. Wow. Just came to Boston to see the New World. And, as we will cover in the follow-up, she may have made another trip to the States again very recently, bringing some credence to this Ahul theory. Or I should say Ahuli theory. It's very batty. Nice. So join the members area. Follow us into the side trail for this episode, and uh, you'll get to find out why Slinky may have been Nessie. It'd be interesting if there's any lock. I don't remember any accounts quite with the barrel, the bunches, the location, the movement. But at the same time, it's our whole guano theory. There is one thing. They got a camera at the bottom of Loch Ness, picked up this like 30-foot-long serpent yeah. type creature, swam right by it. They got it on video. That could be a baby. picture or sonar? I heard a sonar. video. One. I heard a sonar. One. I saw a full-on video. Wow. Of this like 30-foot-long snake-looking serpent thing swimming by at the bottom of the lock. Dang. Get us the link for that. That could be a baby. Yeah. You know? I'll, I'll see if I can find that link again. Yeah. That would be cool. I came up with one. It's part of your volcano theory. Okay. Work with me here. So you're saying that volcanoes go off and it disturbs the the local Yeah, the butterfly effect. The volcano goes off over here and then does motion over here. If you are correct, if you remember in Gilligan's Island. Oh, God. No, really, just work. Our art mimics life. I guess it is Ahul Guano time. Yeah, that's why I... I, There was a volcano episode, and there was a spider episode. If the spider episode is uh, after the volcano episode by, you know, several, I yeah. don't know. I don't know would be a good well, It was range. about a two-year gap between the big eruption and the sighting of Slinky and Gloucester. But Hava. this happened on the island where the spider is. Just like with Batsquatch, you think it'd be quicker that there would be some True. action. But if something within the season or so, yeah. if something happened, then I think that supports your theory. All right, I'm going to write that down for old business. <laughs> we'll, co- we'll cover. Do, you can do that one. <laughs> this this was the Scooby. Next one will be the Gilligan's, Gilligan's. Island. Yeah, but I, the Spider episode was was just it was well done. You know, that was a good one. Yeah. All right. <laughs> what just happened? There's the Ahul Guano theory for you, everybody. All right. Uh, next up, we're going to have Sir Richard Scully Muggle Skeptics Review. You're, you're, you're full of crap, and that's the nicest thing that I can say. What would the skeptics say? Unfortunately for the legacy of the sea serpent, Slinky, as <laughs> he is now known. Can that be the title? We should do that. Ooh, Slinky the Sea Serpent. Unfortunately for the legacy of Slinky the Sea Serpent, it is all too easy for skeptics to write off this story as a backcountry tall tale. Being that there were no cameras to photograph it, the press was playing telephone with the story until the facts were all mixed up, 
in the fiasco with the Linnaean Society botching the job, it is easy for people to overlook the veracity of the existence of Slinky the Gloucester Sea Serpent. I'm running with the nickname Moss. <laughs> the easiest argument for the skeptics would be that it was an oarfish whose size was exaggerated by observers. The longest oarfish ever recorded being 36 feet long. That's crazy big. This does seem like a convincing narrative, but with the number of eyewitnesses testifying to the hundred or so foot length of this creature, that to me seems unlikely that it was an oarfish. What if it's a... You're not going to like this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Oh, no. What if it's a Bobby Orfish? Bobby Why would I not Orr. like Bobby Orr? Number Bobby four. Orr, number four. Bobby Orr, number four. Yeah, it could every, be. Every guy I knew that I grew up with had the signed, autographed picture of Bobby Orr doing, doing the, the Superman. Superman. Yeah. <laughs> every one of us had it, dude. It was we everywhere. We had Farrah Fawcett, Fawcett posters. I'm <sighs> aging myself there, but, you know. You have to decide which one's better, honestly. Yeah. Well, you can have both. Anyway, maybe it was an oarfish, much larger than we thought oarfish could get. A bobby oarfish, yeah. Which wouldn't make it any less of a monster in my mind, really, right? I mean, if it was a 100-foot-long oarfish. But with its strange method of locomotion, the vertical motion rather than the horizontal, this would also be contrary to it being an oarfish. I thought the oarfish did... Do a little vertical. I mean, it, they don't see Pretty it in the sure wild very like often. They don't see it in the wild very often because it's usually dying because it, we, it's a deep water fish. Yeah. So it may not be an accurate account. Yeah. But I thought, I mean, mammals go up and down like dolphins and, and whales. Right. So this isn't a fish. It's a. It's more of a mammal. It's like a full-on Huh. So it's not even necessarily a snake. It might be more of a mammal, like more related to the whale. Yeah, I don't know how. I thought oarfish is. I don't interesting. Remember. That's that's an old business, old business oarfish movement. All right, we'll we'll get back to you on that one next week, everybody. Anywho, where was I? Any any ahool? You okay. gotta get used to doing that. So any hool. Yeah, you go. The real thing is, you can argue with the skeptics all day about the true nature of this beast. But the fact is there was a creature in the harbor both big enough and far enough to scare the bejesus out of an entire town. Yeah, that's what happened. This is what happened. It was left so, its mark on the psyche is what you said in your... So, uh, say what you will, but there was a monster in that there water. <laughs> Let's move on. It's time for our own beliefs here the scully Mulder believability scale they feel your methods your theories are spooky do you think i'm spooky wait why am i scully okay so before knowing the real story behind it i thought the gloucester sea serpent was as the skeptics would say just a backwater small town colonial era tall tale but after learning more about it and reading wayne soini's book and seeing all these accounts from all these people, I pretty much fully wholeheartedly believe that there was a monster serpent in that water. I'm giving it a 10. Wow. That's, that's very I'm moldery of you. full-blown full molder on full this molder. one. Uh, I, I've moved the needle as well, and I just the only reason I would say that is, again, sorry to repeat myself, the perception of the whole thing seemed to be they focused on the negatives and the Linnaean and all this stuff. This is a lot of people who 
know the water are on boats that are captains and yeah it was a seafaring town seafaring town at this point and and they all said this is unusual and they all described the same thing so i'm and they all just and like the shortest it would be by all those accounts is like 60 feet and that's still like the longest oarfish we've ever found is 36 feet so it's still like even if it's smaller than they came to believe even if it's the low end of the range of what people how long people said it was it's still a monster it doesn't sound like mass psychogenic illness it doesn't sound like these folks were seeing a lot of different things They're, the accounts are actually dead on and they're just describing something so weird i think that we've right. never and seen it, again that and it's all the different people from all different walks of life you know the male female rich poor seafaring landlubbing you know, it didn't, doesn't matter that they were all there and they all saw it and the accounts all line up. I'm going to say nine because I think something large came into that nice. harbor and I don't know what it I got a was. nine out of Moz. Yeah. People don't know how impressive that is yet because yeah. you are not a nine kind of guy. That that well, makes I me happy. Because where were you when we started this? Were you like a five? Oh, no, my goodness. I think lower. I really? Just, well, no, no. I guess there was always, there's always been this, a lot of people saw something. Right. But the I I don't know I just because you put the accounts next to each other the way you did, I think it's just moved the needle for me. But nice. I, I try to be um, more like the Lauren Coleman five straight five and right and, right. and you're, you're see kind where of the, a five guy yeah and then see where the thing leads. But I'm also let's face it both of us are more moldery than scullery yeah so we want it to believe is I guess the the, the I think cliche hackneyed I think you're a five that wants to be a seven yeah. And I'm just a seven. <laughs> I think if we're jogging alongside Bo Derek on a beach, I don't think. That's a ten. I think we're That's all a ten. tens. We're all tens. No one's even going to get our reference. I feel bad anymore. for anyone who's too young to get that yeah. one because yeah. god damn. Dang. And that brings us to this week's closing segment. My Wolfman favorite. Puck's Cryptid Culinary Corner. Your entree, sir. What do we do for this segment? I'll tell you. So everything we have learned about this creature. Oh, wait. Well, am I going first or are you going first? You want you me? I'll going go first. first and set the stage and yes. then you can do yours. Okay. So everything we've learned about this creature, the size and movement, head shape, whatnot, makes me think it's more water snake or even animal rather than like fish or eel. Mm-hmm. Uh like reptile mammally kind of thing. So here's what I would that do. That really narrows it down, Jeremy. <laughs> well, just to classify the bird. It was well, I mean, if we're going to eat it, you got to know how to cook the, like I what know. kind of meat you're dealing with you and how to prepare it, it right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm not looking at it as like a fish, even though it's in the water. I'm looking at it more like, you know, eating a rattlesnake or okay. some kind of animal or something. So here's what I would do if I were lucky enough to catch me a hundred foot long slinky, the sea serpent. Being as I'm on the shore... I would start a fire, skin and gut the snake. Oh, I lost my accent for a minute, and then I came back. Did you hear that? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Being as I'm on the show, I would start a fire, skin and gut the snake, then cut long, thin strands of meat from the body. I would skewer these strips of meat, set them to slow smoke over the open fire, in the meantime hunting for wild onions which grow in the Gloucester area, by the way. That's Chicago. Yeah, they grow a lot of places. Crazy onions. With which to garnish the meat, of course. Mm -hmm. 
I would also send Moz here on a beer run to the Cape Ann Lanes Laneside Pub for yep. some local craft brews, mm-hmm. preferably something in the way of a salty pilsner to accent the serpent's oceany taste. Then we would feast on the beast as the moon rose above the Atlantic. Wow. It's really, it's like, wow. It's, very it's like heroic and romantic all yeah, at the same time. There you go. I, I like it. Uh, I don't agree with you, though. I You never do. No, I... I'm. I think that if we come down. To, I'm in the eel camp. I think a lot of these things are eels. Oh, so you're you're going to prep it like no, an eel. This does move very strangely, but I still think it's, it's going to taste like an eel, and I, I okay. stand by that. A little catch, chewier, a little more fishy. So I'm going to make a caterpillar roll, which is now even more, <laughs> even more pertinent. A caterpillar roll. I get it. Actually, I get well, it. I didn't. I I wrote this ahead of time because of the way it moves. No, I didn't know that. That wasn't even on purpose. <laughs> on purpose that's that's I good comedy right there accidental <laughs> comedy is the best kind but it makes more sense now because we have eel we have the avocado we have the nice toasted sesame and the rice and we're going to make a nice specialty roll with some ginger and and uh some wasabi some edamame is the asian influence because the serpent started in the south pacific but when the volcano went off it came to the north atlantic so exactly. it's like a getting back to its roots no i'm just made that up but I just, that's the way I would serve eel is with avocado. Those two things go together. Just, we're just trying to make connections here, Moz. Just trying to make connections. Well. And I also found the only brew pub in Gloucester, the Cape Ann Lanes. But I'm going to serve it with the Queen Pin, which is kind of a, a hazy, it's, it's, it's a hazy IPA, 6.2%, a nice New England style, but dry hopped with Citra and El Dorado. Uh, and I'm going to serve this between frames because it's a bowling alley in those Dutch-like bowling alley clown shoes just to bring it really wow. into the hole. You know what just happened, Moss? What's that? I totally had you until you called out a specific <laughs> beer. You actually have the specific beer. Yes, the queen the queen pen. And I think you just beat me on that. There we go. You kind of said, of I hope there's I a pills in there. I think you win this one. Like, well, oh, we didn't tell him this one's a contest. And yeah. we fight over who won yeah to give you guys i'm gonna have to give you this one though just because you you pulled out the specific beer that you would drink and and i also feel like we should tell these folks a little bit more about what we do we prepare we look up the area we try to find the brew pub that's the closest because you know if you're squatching you want to know where to get a nice yeah, beer you gotta to know squatch. where the good stout is man so we're going to tell you where the flap is where the brew is and what to serve if we catch it we are going to document it for science before we eat it <laughs> Yeah, we'll take plenty of pictures and we'll stuff first. It. We'll we'll let the doctors look at it and first. We're really not going to eat these things, just so. You oh, know. I would totally eat we'll Slinky. Really? Okay. Oh, hundred percent. Okay. I'm, I'm a ten on that. the eating There's Slinky scale. A lot scale. of things we're going to try to eat that it's going to be much worse moving forward. So that is very true. <laughs> I fear what's coming in some of Maz's uh, episodes for that segment. Yeah. But all right, uh, that does it for this episode, I guess. Thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure to like and subscribe on whatever platform you're on so you can keep track of the Monster Lore Tour as we roll along. In the meantime, send us your stories to monsterloretour at gmail.com. We'll see you back here next week at the edge of nowhere for the next Monster Lore Tour. Thanks again. Have a good one, listener. Bobby Orr. Number four. Bobby Orr. Number four.
because I like the way you talk. I like your rhythms. I like, you know. I like the way your sparkling earrings play against your skin so brown. Oh, thank you. 